Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Well, I must confess this morning as we begin this lesson on seed sowing that the Womack family did not try our hand at growing anything this spring. We, we did not plant any tomatoes or squash or peppers or cucumbers. We didn't even plant any flowers. We were so distracted, you might say, by keeping that new tiny human alive uh, that we didn't give any attention to our outside flower beds or to those things. In fact, like many of you, we've had some, some bushes that died over the winter, and, and we've torn them out and gotten rid of them, but we haven't even replanted those yet. And so we have not put forth any great effort in our yard or in our flower beds or in our garden this year. And yet, and yet, despite our total lack of effort, we have been blessed and surprised by this big green vine that's growing up just outside of our back patio in the backyard in the top flower bed there. Before I tell you, I assume some of you know, do you recognize what plant that is growing out of our flower bed? Anybody? It's a watermelon, right? It's a watermelon vine, right? Somehow, some way, someone was having watermelon in the back patio and they, I guess, probably launched a seed over into the flower bed. And it made its way into the soil and into the dirt over the winter, and it survived, and it has sprouted up here in the last few weeks. And I took this picture a few days ago. Since then, it's doubled in size. It's totally taking over the flower bed. It's growing in and around the dead shrubs and the trees, and we've even got some little blooms on there. We hope in a, in a few weeks we may even have a melon to share. Growing things in the yard, in the garden, in the flower beds, it's sort of, a weird, sort of a weird deal. There have been years where we have put forth a lot of effort. We've bought tomato plants and squash plants and, and cucumbers, and we've planted them, and we've watered them, and we've added fertilizer and nutrients, and we've tried hard. We spent hundreds of dollars to get three or four dollars worth of cucumbers and tomatoes, right? Uh, and then there have been other years like this, right, where we didn't, we didn't try at all. We didn't do anything except maybe spit a seed out, and it landed in the flower bed. And we got this volunteer watermelon vine coming up. Uh, some of you are more dedicated to this work than others. Some of you bring your garden produce up here to the church to share, which we appreciate. But if you've spent any time gardening or growing flowers, you know it can be a sort of hit or miss thing. Sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have the right combination of sun and light and water and seed, and sometimes you don't. And then sometimes you get things you never even expected. Today we're reading this wonderful parable from Matthew 13 where Jesus talks about this strange sower of seeds. And as I was reading it to you, you should have heard that there are four descriptions given to the ways in which seeds are shared and sown and what happens to them. And so what I want to do today is to kind of do a, a quick pass through all four of them as we think about how those four images land with us and land with our life. So as Jesus is talking about the sower of seeds, he says he goes out to sow and some of the seeds land on the path. And as the seeds land on the path, they are not given an opportunity to germinate, to make roots, or to grow. A hard path, a beaten path, a rock path, even a concrete or paved path, there's no way for seeds to grow there. So in that case, birds find an easy target, an easy meal. And so the seeds that are on the path are quickly snatched up and taken away by birds and made into a meal for them. Now Jesus in his explanation, he says 
this is the work of, uh, of, of, the, of the evil one. This is the work of this, this cosmic power. Despite God being at work in the world, despite God spreading these seeds and this good word, sometimes it just lands in places that are unable to receive it. It's unable to grow. And so the birds come and take it away. Right? So in this first image, Jesus kind of reminds us that, that the sowing of the seed that's happening on God's behalf, the sowing of the seed that's happening in our lives and in our world, that there are forces at work that are, that are challenging that and even working against it, that there are birds all around snatching up God's holy seed. Now, part of me wonders, this is not in the Bible, and this is not part of Jesus' interpretation, part of me wonders about those seeds that are snatched up and they're, they're eaten and then they're maybe um, recycled or discarded somewhere else, right? So maybe they leave that rocky path or that, or that beaten path and they go get planted elsewhere. Maybe that happens sometimes. The next option that Jesus offers is the one in the case where it's the rocky ground. It's the rocky ground, right? He says the rocky ground is sort of an interesting case because the seeds that fall on the rocky ground often are planted. They, they do take root and they do begin to grow. But in this case, the ground is so rocky, the roots are not able to, to go very deep. And because they're not able to go very deep, when the sun comes up, it scorches the plants they don't have enough water, they don't have enough soil and sustenance, and therefore they die. And then a little bit later, Jesus explains. He says, these are the sort of people who receive the word with, with enthusiasm and excitement. They recognize that God's word is at work in their life. They have joy in their hearts. They want to respond, but they, but they don't have the right resources to support their response to God, right? That there are challenges in their life, there are uh, significant obstacles in their life that just make it impossible, despite their, their hope, that just make it impossible to respond to God's work in their life at that time. In other words, some people are facing such obstacles that, that they're not able to focus on their spiritual growth or their discipline. They're not able to, to hear the word and respond as we might hope. Now, when I hear Jesus talking about that rocky ground, I go back a little bit to my continuing education days when I taught high school for a couple of years. All of the educators in the room recognize this pyramid instantly and know the title of it is Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. I can remember in all my education training how often this would come up. And, and what they were trying to drive home to us as teachers is that when students come to school, of course, they come to, to hear a lesson and to be trained in our specialty, hear, uh, reading or English or mathematics or science, but they also come to school with all of these other needs. And so the school spends a lot of time and energy meeting all of these other needs, and if the, if the most basic needs are not met, then there's no way children can respond intellectually and creatively to the lessons that are being taught. So what are the most basic needs? Well, these are physiological needs, right? You need air and water and food, and you need uh, warmth in the winter. You need cooler air in the, in the summer, right? Those most basic needs have to be met, and our schools spend a lot of time just meeting those most basic needs. The next level, safety needs, personal security, resources, health, and property, right? Again, our schools are, are deeply involved there, just making children feel safe, making sure children have enough to eat during the day at school, but also sending food with them home at night, in the evenings, or on the weekends. That third level, love and belonging, right? Children can't learn in the classroom unless they are experiencing a sense of love and belonging. And so many of our educators spend a good chunk of their day making children feel known and loved, right? And once they feel known and loved, then maybe you can move on to some of those higher levels. Esteem, self-respect, respect for others, acknowledging your own self-worth. 
And then finally, self-actualization. That's, that's the awareness of your individual self and, and hoping to, to grow in your intellectual pursuits. Every one of our educators, there are many of you in the room today, you know that this happens every day in the classroom. You try to meet those most basic needs, those secondary needs, and then those upper-level needs. And if you can meet those needs, then maybe then you can teach a lesson about math or science or reading. I hope you sense that Jesus is saying something similar about the, the life of discipleship. That there are many people, the rocky soil, there are many people whose lives are so rocky, are so challenging, are so complicated, that they are striving to just, to just have their most basic needs met. And they're not, they're not ready, they're not able, they don't have the time or the energy or the resources to per, pursue maybe those, those loftier goals of discipleship or, or intellectual engagement. I hope you sense here at church that we're, we're kind of doing something similar. And we recognize when people come to church, they come to church for all sorts of different reasons. Some people come to church because they just need some warmth or cool air in the summer. We have people that come and sit in the Welcome Center throughout the summer. They just need to cool off, right? Of course, we have people come by the Woodhouse or come by the church that just need food, right? They just need their most basic needs met. Lots of people are coming to church for a sense of belonging and relationship. People are coming here because this is where their friends are. And they're able to feel that sense of love and protection and care. It's surprising to young pastors, particularly when we began, that, that not everyone wants to come to church for an hour-long study on Leviticus, right? That's not what everyone is expecting to do when they come to church. People come to church for lots of different reasons. And part of what Jesus is saying about that rocky soil is we, we need to recognize that, right? We need to recognize the needs that people have and meet those needs. And then maybe the word might have a chance to sprout in them and grow to a healthier level. Now, this next section is the one that I wish Jesus had left out. He says, The other seeds are like those that have been sown among the thorns. And as the seeds are sown and they begin to grow, the thorns grow alongside them and the thorns choke them out. What an interesting visual. It chokes them out, strangles them out. In his explanation, Jesus says, These are people that that have the resources and have the time and have the energy, these are people who could hear and receive and respond to the word of God, and yet they are so distracted by the cares of this world, including wealth. Ugh. My sense is if there's one of these three sections that applies to me or applies to us, applies to the Western North American church, it's probably this section on thorns. And of course, that visual works very well for me because so many times as a young kid on the family farm or hiking or camping, walking through the woods, walking through a field, particularly in shorts, and you would get your leg hung in briars, right? And it would cut your leg. Or, or if you're hunting in the winter and you're walking through a, a field with your jeans on, your dungarees, and those briars grab a hold of your pants and they hold on and they won't let go. Sometimes these big thorns, these honeysuckle thorns, they will, they will poke your skin and break off. You'll have to pick them out. Jesus says these people are walking through their day-to-day -day Christian life and there's just so many things that are distracting them. The cares of the world. Like a field with thorns or a woods with thorn, as they walk they're being grabbed and torn and pierced by all of these distractions. And so these distractions, including the, the lure of wealth, it chokes out what might have been a healthy seed. Mm. 
When I read about the thorns, I can't help but think about my own spiritual life and all the distractions that are out there. Go here, travel here, spend your time here, spend your money here. All of these things, they're not necessarily bad things, they're good things. There's just so many of them. Like a briar patch, as we would call it, or like a thorny tree in a field. There's just so many of them, and they're so overwhelming, and they continue to hold us back, to choke us out, Jesus says. Hmm. But of course, the last case is the best case scenario. Sometimes seed falls on healthy soil, and, and sometimes the conditions are just right. Sometimes the sunlight and the, and the rain and the nutrients and the, and the type of seed and the time of year, sometimes it all comes together and you get this wonderful return. Healthy, fruitful, bearing fruit, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, you get this wonderful return. And, and Jesus says, this is the best case scenario that the word would land on soil that is healthy and ready to receive it and that the word would multiply in that soil and that it would grow to be a a healthy soil. If you can remember anything about this soil, remember that it's supposed to to bear fruit, all right? Do you get it? Bear fruit? My kids think this is hilarious. Y'all are a tougher crowd than they are. Bear fruit. This is the best case. The soil bears fruit. The seeds bear fruit. I'm just assuming that that watermelon vine in our backyard is a Cave City watermelon, right? I'm from Cave City, home of the world's sweetest watermelons. We eat a lot of Cave City watermelons. My children love to eat watermelons. My parents and in-laws bring one over almost every time they come to visit. I assume what happened is someone was eating watermelon on the back patio, and they launched a seed over there in the flower bed, and it grew to, to come to be this vine that we have today. Cave City Watermelons, they, they've done a, a little bit of research, I understand, a few years ago, maybe they had the extension office come out there, and there, there's something about that, that area, that soil, it's kind of on the foothills, it's starting to, to turn into the hills, to the mountains, something about that soil, it's kind of sandy over around Cave City, in fact, the, the little community on the edge of Cave City is called Sand Town, that's where they grow a lot of the watermelons, there's something about that soil that produces the world's sweetest watermelons. In fact, I've seen reports out of Hope. Hope is down around the the Red River Basin on the other half of the state. Also a kind of sandy, soily area. Something about that soil produces good watermelons. They're not the world's sweetest, but they're pretty good, right? I guess over here in the Boot Hill, they grow watermelons as well. I suspect there's something in that soil too. Of course, we live here in in the Rice Belt, as it's famously known. We can grow more rice than any other state, despite being a small state, along with soybeans and corn and and all sorts of other things. Sometimes the conditions are just right. The seed and the sunlight and the soil and the water, and, and this is when it bears fruit. Surely that was the case with the disciples who heard Jesus preaching that day. The church began with just a few people, just a few faithful followers. There were many who heard Jesus but didn't follow Jesus, but there were a few who heard him and followed him, and it's in those people that the, that the seed bears fruit. We're, we're a product. We're the fruit. Some 2,000 years later, we're worshiping here today because those earliest disciples heard the word and followed Jesus. Sometime in in upper elementary school, I think it was fifth or sixth grade, this was about one of the last years that we were expected to do a science project, an annual science project. And I remember it being late enough in school that we were expected largely to do it on our own, not with a lot of help of our parents. And so I did a project similar to what many elementary school students have done where we planted seeds in paper cups. But my project at home was to put various fertilizers on the seed and then to measure the stems to see which fertilizer was most productive. 
right? And so you can imagine this experience. I had 30 or 40 cups, and I had groups of five or six, and we had a control group with no fertilizer. Of course, I tried to make sure they all got the same amount of sunlight and water, and then I had various fertilizers that we had bought at the co-op or what have you, and, and I remember trying to be real scientific and accurate about it, trying to figure out which fertilizer is best. And I remember concluding, I don't remember all the ratios, but I concluded that nitrogen was most important. The one with the highest nitrogen content grew the tallest seed stems in my very short project. This is the way farming should work, right? I mean, we are an advanced people. The, the farming that we do in these fields all around Greene County and Northeast Arkansas, it is not the farming that our grandparents or great-grandparents did. It's highly scientific and strategic and intentional. They rotate crops from year to year. They try different various fertilizers depending on the crop and the season and how much rain we've had. Of course, everything is measured by computers and, and the output is, is geared toward the most profit. I mean, it's a, it's a highly scientific and intentional process. Which brings us to the most peculiar part of this parable. What on earth is this sower thinking? The sower that Jesus describes today in this parable has got to be the most inefficient, the, the goofiest, the most helpless farmer I've ever heard of. I mean, what, what sort of sower would take their, their seed, their, their little bit of seed, and just throw it everywhere? Eh, here's a little bit for the birds. Why not try a little bit on rocky ground? Maybe it'll happen there. Yeah, some thorns over there, but here's a little bit of seed from thorns too. Eh, maybe there's some good soil over there. This guy's got to be the worst farmer gardener ever imagined, right? No one farms or gardens in this way. You don't take your seed and just spread it out willy-nilly. You need to think carefully about where to plant and how to plant and what season is best. And yet this sower does the exact opposite. And of course the sower in the parable is God. And what God is sowing is the word, the word of God Jesus Christ is the Word of God, the Word that was God, that was with God in the beginning. And so what Jesus is saying in this parable is that, that the Word of God, the power of God, the kingdom of God, it is just constantly being sown everywhere. It's just being sown everywhere. In fact, what Jesus is saying is that, is that God doesn't look on any ground, God doesn't look on any soul as too beaten, too flat, too rocky, too thorny, too abused, too forgotten, too disinterested, too afraid. There is no soul that is not worthy of receiving the word of God. And so this is how God works. God just spreads this seed out all the time and, and sometimes it lands on the path and the birds eat it and sometimes it lands on the rocky soil and it doesn't last very long and sometimes it lands along the thorns and it gets choked out and then sometimes it bears fruit. And Jesus' word just keeps being sown again and again and again, over and over again. And maybe one day, maybe one day, that beaten path will no longer be a beaten path. Maybe the road will have been moved to another part of the county and that beaten path will have been turned back into farmland. And maybe one day that beaten path will not be the seeds that are eaten by birds, but maybe one day that beaten path will be ready to receive the word of God. Or, or maybe one day if Jesus keeps coming back over and over again that, that that rocky field will be tilled over again and again and again and maybe some hard-working farmer will go out there with gloves and a basket on the back of a tractor and will pick up some of the big rocks and maybe one day that rocky ground 
will be ready to receive the word. Maybe one day if Jesus just keeps working, spreading the word over and over again, that, that one day those, torns will all, those thorns will all be torn away. They'll be poisoned and put to death and those thorns will be gone and that once thorny ground will be ready to receive God's word. God has got to be one of the most relentless, inefficient, illogical gardeners and farmers you could ever imagine. But Jesus' point, of course, is the reason that God farms this way is that there is no soul soil too far gone for God. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks that you continually pursue us. God, as we worship this morning, we admit that our soul soils come in all sorts of conditions. Here among us today are beaten paths, rocky ground, thorny bushes, and fertile dirt. God, continue to come to us, continue to share your word with us, continue to challenge us and invite us to respond and to bear fruit. Continue to bear your good news even unto us, even unto us church people, that our souls might be prepared to receive and that we might have the courage to respond. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.